the most successful authors and the most successful books are the ones that are at the service of the reader. The author, the book, the idea seeks to serve the reader, to help the reader, to be of value to the reader. So it's less about the author and it's much, much more about the reader. Those are the books that keep selling. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Casey Ebro, my editor for Unlearn. Now, when I first met Casey, she was an executive editor of the business group at McGraw-Hill Professional, where she acquired, edited, and published business books in areas around leadership, workplace culture, entrepreneurship, and innovation. Some of her notable titles include Madoff Talks by Jim Campbell, which is now the focus of a Netflix series, Connect First by Madeline Katzman, and Zero to IPO by Frederick Kirst. Lots of bestsellers have come across her desk and she's helped authors and teams bring those books to the maximum potential. At McGraw-Hill, she also established the healthcare category into a multi-million dollar program and included lots of titles like The Digital Doctor and The Cleveland Clinic Way. Now, she's a freelance editor. You can find her on LinkedIn. And if you have a manuscript you'd like to send her, I'm sure she'd love to hear it. But before we get into that, let's find out how she got started and got interested in becoming an editor for one of the largest publishers in the business. Everyone in publishing who's currently working in publishing, no matter what category, we were all little kids who loved to read. We were all bookworms at some point and lost ourselves in new worlds, in new worlds that were presented in those books. So every editor I know grew up that way in terms of like reading books, and falling in love with just all of the world building that was happening, and then thinking and dreaming about being part of that process. So I think most people who want to be editors or want to be in publishing, the entry point is probably fiction, their favorite novel or their favorite children's books. There aren't many that I've met that had an entry point of nonfiction or history and absolutely not business. In terms of being enamored of that world, it was rooted really in being a bookworm as a child and having a book in hand literally almost every minute of the day I had a book in my hand and just wanting to be part of that world and part of that process and part of making that possible. But how did you go about learning about this? Because this is interesting to me. There's actually not many people that we have on the show that very early, they have a calling or identification of something that is a real passion for them that they were like, I want to spend the majority of my life exploring this topic, pursuit, interest area. So for someone who has had that experience, much like a book, many chapters to getting to where right, right. you're doing yeah. today, and I'm sure some of it surprised you. Some of it might've been disappointing from what you hoped it would be. What were some of the steps that you sort of went through to like explore that interest area, if you will, to eventually make it a career? So it started really in high school. I was part of the editorial staff 
I was the English editor of the literary publication of my high school. It was called Facets. And we commissioned work or members in the student body submitted work, whether it was fiction or nonfiction or poetry. And the editorial staff would review all of the submissions and make decisions in which pieces we published in the literary publication of the high school. I loved it. I just love that process. I love the collaboration with my fellow editors on staff. I love discovering these voices of my classmates. There were so many that I didn't even realize wrote or expressed themselves creatively in this way. And it was amazing to kind of just learn about that because, of course, no one is trumpeting the fact that they're submitting to the literary publication. They just do it. And the only ones who really know are the staff until, of course, it's published in print with their name out there. That was a really satisfying experience for me. And so when I went to university, I joined the literary publication of the university and I was on the English staff of the publication. It was called Heights. So we did pretty much the same thing. But of course, we're in university now. It's a little more advanced, right? People are writing about deeper things. The discussions were much more involved. There were a lot of disagreements. Right. People are feeling, yeah, diving into the dirty topics, right? People were feeling the feelings. Absolutely. And people who loved certain works and there were certain works that were really divisive and there would be arguments and discussions about like, should we publish this? Should we not? That was just an incredibly stimulating environment. It was fun. It was just the intellectual kind of discourse and the back and forth and just being immersed in that. It was great, great fun. I loved it. That was when I fell in love with being an editor. If you think about it, I've been an editor since I was 13 years old in high school, like working on the first literary publication, right? I worked at. Well, the good thing is I can definitely vouch for your editing skills. You definitely managed to clean up my words, (laughs) vocabulary and verboseness. So bravo on that. Not many people have managed to ring fence me and get that done. (laughs) Again, it's great to hear following that passion, being able to identify that path and sort of, as you say, pursue it. For many people listening to the show, I can't tell you how many times people say to me in their life, you know, I'd love to write a book. It sort of feels like it's one of these top 10 or 20 things people would love to do, but they never do, or there's always an inhibition or something that holds them back. So for people who probably are curious about what is involved in doing that, one of the things I did when we launched OnLearn is I wrote a blog post called Learning What I Had to Unlearn About Writing a Book. Because for me, it was a fascinating process, almost to the point that I almost equated in my mind to like akin to startups and venture capital, where there's this notion that a book is a product. That product needs to have customers. It needs to have product market fit. It needs to be, if you will, like an entity that people believe in and want to invest in to take it to like growth. I was like, oh my God, there's so many parallels here. That was, again, not obvious to me until... I sort of got into this process. So for people thinking, how would I go about this? As you started off your journey into publishing, especially business, what were some of the things you had to unlearn as you were going through that process 
And then maybe we can talk a little bit about what both you and I had to unlearn going through the process of actually writing books and so forth. Well, let me back up to one of the things you said earlier, where you said in going through this process, it felt very much like starting a business, launching a startup. I love that you said that because it actually reminds me of something, one of the biggest and best business book agents in the industry shared with me and shared with some of my authors. His name is Jim Levine, and he's like a huge name in the industry. He said to one of my authors, you know, in my presence, writing a book is like starting a business. Think of yourself as an author. You are an entrepreneur. You are starting this business from scratch. Very much what you said, Barry. You're putting out a new product that is hopefully unique with unique selling points that you have a target audience for. And you're putting it out there, hopefully to solve a pain point, close a gap, serve a need. And this is what you're trying to do with your book. It doesn't stop. The process doesn't stop when you finish writing the book or when you deliver it to your editor. It doesn't ever stop the same way it doesn't stop for an entrepreneur. If you've poured your heart and soul, this is your life's work. These are your ideas. You're a thought leader in this particular space. You have distilled all this wisdom and expertise into this book and you're putting it out into the world. You're going to need to work really, really hard to get it in front of as many people as possible, to get it into as many hands as possible, and to have people then talk about that and share that among their networks and publicize that and promote it. And it doesn't ever end. Right. Uh, it never ends. You're so true. It's so yeah, true. But actually, I would love for you to think of it as a love affair that doesn't end because you've so much of yourself into writing a book. These are your ideas. This is what you believe. This is what you want to put out and see in the world. A lot of people think about it in terms of like, oh, the first three months or the first six months or first year or first three years of after a book is published. I think that's really short-sighted because if the ideas are good, they're good from now till kingdom come. It's not a finite exercise in terms of there's a deadline, right? You're going to want to keep living and breathing the ideas in this book in your day-to-day -day professional life. And you're going to want it to be part of everything that you do and everything that you're involved in. I'm pretty sure Adam Grant's first book, Give and Take, that still sells really, really well. And it's been how many years? He's published many other books since. I'm sure Brene Brown's first books are still selling really well, despite the fact that she's probably already published five or six since. It's kind of this really long-term commitment to getting your ideas out there and to investing the time and the hard work and the resources and everything that goes into building a successful business, except the product is the book. And in a sense, the product is you. You're selling yourself. You're selling your ideas. It is in the shape and form of a book, whether that's a print book or an ebook or an audio book. But at the end of the day, it's you. That's what you're putting out there. And so 
you give up on yourself, you're going to keep pushing yourself. That's the same approach any author should be taking or the same attitude they should be adopting when they're approaching this exercise. Maybe a lot of people initially, when they think about, oh, I want to write a book, it can sometimes come from a place of ego or a place of vanity. And what I've found is that really the most successful authors and the most successful books, the ones that sell really, really well, not like week over week, month over month, year over year, and just continue to sell. Decades after, when I was at McGraw-Hill, I ended up being the caretaker of a title that we had published 35 years ago that was still selling, that we were still licensing translation rights to. There's so much you'd shared there, all super interesting, but there's some parts of it I want to unpack a little bit because stellar advice and painting the picture. There's some of the steps I think people, even as they want to get started, one of the things that even the first step, the notion of even trying to go to like a major publisher, this notion that I had to get an agent, which was fascinating in itself, sending him a manuscript in directly, you may as well have made a paper airplane and threw it at the building and hopefully it would land. The notion of writing a proposal, and for me, this is like the analogy in startups. It's yeah. almost like I had to have a pitch deck, as yes. you outlined. What's the problem I'm solving? Who's the target customer? What's my go-to-market plan? How am I going to generate sales? And then also write a chapter to exemplify the idea. That work in itself was sort of, again, very interesting to me. Naively, I was going into this. I was like, oh, I just have a great idea. I can just tell somebody. But no, <laughs> you have to put in this work of, again, presenting the idea, writing a whole chapter about it, and then how you are going to maximize the potential of this idea as a product, bring it to market and the networks you're going to use to leverage it and only being able to share that through an agent who could potentially get to you ultimately and the process even of shopping the book around. And again, this is very similar in the startup world. When you're pitching to venture capitalists, the best scenario for a founder is that Andreessen Horowitz and yeah. Sequoia are like fighting over Who's going yeah. to get to invest in the round? That's a part of it. But what really struck me about you when we met as well is the analogy for me is that you're building a team. This is probably, I think, something that, again, that was a big unlearning for me. I thought like the book would be about me sitting down, writing, maybe working with an editor to sort of like get the best out of it. But actually, really what you're doing is you're constructing a team, people who are going to contribute, bring their best, just like in startups. You can take money from a brand name, but if well, they no. offer you no support, no leverage, no feedback, no collaboration, success of your business is much lower or likely to succeed. What struck me about you is like I shared stuff with you and you're instantly like, this is crap. This needs to be fixed. This needs to be better. And I was like, that's the person I need to help me make this work. Can you share a little bit like what were our days like for you, like inundated with agents sending you proposals? Writers banging at your door with 500 page manuscripts saying you just need to read this. I've shared the process as a writer you would go through. As an editor, then, what does it feel like to be seeing endless proposals, manuscripts coming across your table? 
trying to identify what feels like a winner versus something you'll pass on. I want to start by saying I'm a very mission-driven editor. I think it was Obama who once said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I'm an editor, so I'm going to edit him and kind of like take his mantra, his edited mantra, right? For me, it's really about publishing the change that I want to see in the world. When I'm reviewing book proposals, and typically, to your point earlier, yes, it's very, very important to get an agent, a big, well-respected agent with great contacts in the industry and terrific relationships with editors at all the big players, all the big houses in the space. It's important to work with an agent like that so that your proposal gets in front of the right people. And so I'm always day to day, of course, there are a lot of proposals that would come into my inbox from agents. And for me, that was my North Star, if you will. It's like, what is the change I want to see in the world? And if I publish this particular project, Will it move the world closer to what it should be? And because I'm working in business books, then obviously that's the business world, right? But if you think about it, and this is really how I approached the work that I did, most adults spend most of their waking hours working. That's what we do. The books that I published were really designed to improve that experience, no matter what level you were, whether you were an entry-level person all the way up to the CEO and every level in between. I published books that spoke to different industries. So no matter what level you're at, no matter what industry you work in, the books that I was hoping to publish and bring out were books that were meant to help you improve and help you kind of attain what you aspired to and whatever it is you were doing. That was always what I was guided by. And it's great to hear when I listen to that, you know, I don't want to overweight the startup analogy, but it's like, this is our purpose. This is our mission and value. These are the goals. Here's the thesis of the books that I believe in and want to bring to life. I could see that both from working with you, how you instantiate that and bring that to life and challenge your authors mm-hmm. to make it the best book that it can possibly be for the audience and the mission, I think both the author is trying to achieve and that is aligned to yours. That really stood out to me from working with you on, on Learn. That's a great sort of first focus filter to find that the signal, if you will, for right. what yep. types of authors and books you're looking for. What happens next? Actually, let's talk about the experience with you, Barry. Yeah, yeah. So I remember reading your proposal and just falling in love with it. We've talked so much about how this process is very much like a business or a startup, but there is love. There's falling in love with an idea. There is passion involved. It's not just about the numbers, although that's also, of course, quite important. But When I read your proposal, it was really new. It was very different. We're taught and we're always told to keep learning. 
work learning cons- organization. Yeah, learning organization, being a learning leader, always learning, continuous improvement. We're always encouraged, right, to keep learning, to never stop learning. But I love how you flipped it because when I read your proposal, you were talking about unlearning. That was really compelling and unique and different. And I'm like, what does he mean? What does he mean about unlearning? And then you talked about it's important to unlearn the things that made you successful. So this is so radically counterintuitive because if something has made you successful in the past, you want to keep doing that because that's what made you successful in the past. And so if you keep doing it, then the logical outcome is that you will be just as successful. It's history repeating itself. You know how this works. So your idea, right, that this is wrong, that you shouldn't just keep using the same formula for success that you've used all your life, that it's really actually quite important to unlearn the things that made you successful because the world is constantly changing and evolving. And if you don't change and evolve with it, what made you successful in the past, it's no longer going to work in the new context. It was a really compelling and counterintuitive idea, but it was also quite simple. I just loved it. You know, you talk about this being like a business, but sometimes this process is also very much like dating. You meet an idea and you're like, I'm in love. I love that. I want to spend lots of time with it. And because this process as well of working on a book, obviously you're spending however many months. I'm starting to panic now thinking about how long I spent writing it. (laughs) Right. It took you however long to write the book. And then, of course, once the process begins with me, that's many, many more months of work and collaboration together. So part of it, too, is just an editor needs to really love the book. They need to love the idea. They need to love kind of the collaboration. They need to really, really, really like the author because they're going to be working really, really closely together. And if you don't like the other person, well, that just seems like a waste of time. I do want to say one thing about that. And that's something I learned as I got older and more experienced in the business. When you're a young editor and you're just starting out and you're trying to build a list and you're trying to like acquire as many books as possible, a lot of times your hunger makes you blind to some of the more important things. You just want as many books under your belt as possible. And then you work with people who are terrible people. It's not a good way to spend time. And then later on, you look back on that and you say, like, I've certainly done that, where you're never going to get those weeks and months and years back. If you're going to do this, you better be doing it with people that you like and people that you enjoy working with and want to collaborate with. Because one of the things, too, that I tell authors, and I'm sure I told this to you at the outset, is that I want this process to be fun. I mean, I know it's hard, obviously, but I want it to be fun. 
because it's creative and it's collaborative and it should be stimulating. And maybe we'll disagree, but the end result, I guarantee you, is going to be much better because of it. Yeah, right on. It's so true, like all the things you're describing as well. And that's how I interpret it as well about building a team. You're doing something exceptionally hard. It's creative. There's many right answers. People will have different perspectives, creative differences, so forth. But as you say, like there has to be a unifying theory that brings people together, where it's the passion behind the idea. It's something that you're willing to commit to for, as you say, a long time. It's not just like the process of writing the book and launching it. In many cases, just like in startups, the real work happens when you actually launch the thing. But then you got to go get people to use it, to read it, to engage with it, to tell the story. Even for authors as well, like it's funny when you published a book, you've been working on this idea anywhere from a year to five years. It's not new to you. And yet for people who find it the first time, whether it's six years after it's published or 25 years, that's their first engagement with that idea. You know, you have to keep it alive, believe in it. You know, and here we are, done over 100 podcasts and there nearly five years with people talking about this idea. And I still get excited doing that and sharing that with people because, as you say, for me, it's a perennial thing. Like I could exist forever, which is super fun. And one of the things, too, that I wanted to circle back to earlier was, you know, I started out by saying, like, sometimes writing a book is on a lot of people's bucket list because it's more an expression of ego or vanity. But what I've actually found is that the most successful authors and the most successful books are the ones that are at the service of the reader. The author, the book, the idea seeks to serve the reader, to help the reader, to be of value to the reader. So it's less about the author and it's much, much more about the reader. Those are the books that keep selling because people are just drawing so much from it. They're telling their networks and their friends and their families about what they're learning and how much they're enjoying something and how it changed their lives. I have to say, I don't always get direct reader feedback, but the times that I have, when people write in or Maybe they write to the author and the author is kind enough to share it with me or remembers to share it with me. I read feedback that literally says, your book changed my life in every way, not just at work, at home too. It's changed the way I approach something or I think about something or I relate to people. That just fills my heart with so much joy because it just tells me, right? This is why I do what I do. To have that kind of impact in someone's life, I am the mere midwife or the mere handmaiden, right, (laughs) of the author of the idea. But to be part of the team, to your point, that is responsible or enables that to happen is just so incredibly satisfying and fulfilling. It is really meaningful to me. It's a great outcome. It's a very, very special thing. Being lucky to have a few emails like that sent to for writing books. And yet definitely been a huge part of making that happen. But I think the insight you're sharing of designing for your customers' needs 
and really like focusing on how you can create an amazing experience for that target customer or the person you want to help and then delivering on that. That's the magic, as you say. And it is easy for folks to get shrouded in ego and let me tell you my life story. And you're right at the heart of it is if you're doing it in the service of helping the people who will be the users of your product, your idea, your book. And that is a fantastic way to frame, even to think about what you want to create both in business as a book, as a product. All right. So now everybody's like going, okay, I don't want Casey to be my editor now. So though, before you get inundated by like people who would even want to start exploring this or get started, what would be just sort of one or two tips you'd give them? And then of course, everybody, if you want to find Casey, she's on the internet, don't worry. You can find her and send her manuscripts just to get them started. Like what would be the advice you give people? There are certain questions that I ask all authors when I first meet with them. And this is after I've read their proposal. But I think these are good questions to keep in mind when you start thinking about maybe wanting to write a book. My first question is, why are you writing this book? Why are you doing this? What is your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? And then the second question is, why now? Why are you doing this now? Why not last year or five years ago or five years hence? Why is now the right time for this book and these ideas? Those are really important to kind of get very, very clear on. And then another question I ask is, why you? Because there are loads and loads of books, let's say, about leadership, like really any subject matter under the sun. There are just tons of books out there, tons of people writing about them. And so why should I, and I think of myself as a proxy for the reader, why should I slash the reader buy your book? Why you? Why not someone else? I hope these questions help clarify because you need to be able to say, I am the only one. I am the only one who can write this because X, whatever is, because you're the pioneer in whatever, you're the thought leader and you have invented something. You've proven something that no one thought was possible. Whatever it is, right? You have to be able to answer the question, why should the reader buy my book versus someone else's? There are lots of very big popular names out there. And if you're not one of them, you have to make a compelling argument for why the average person will spend anywhere from $28 to $35 on your book versus someone else who's a big name. And another 20 to 40 hours of reading is can yeah. be past chapter two. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these questions sound existential, but they kind of are. That's, I think, where you should start. Because then I think if you're very clear on the answers to those questions, it makes it very easy for the rest to follow. Some authors or some people who are like thinking about writing a book may ask the question like, well, what do I write about? If you've answered these questions, then that answer will be obvious. Right on. It's super advice. 
funny, even as you're saying that, I was tempted to like open up my proposal again and get PTSD looking at it. But all I can say is working with you has been a joy. It's been so much fun. You know, and I really believe in the outcomes that we achieved are a huge part you had to play in making Unlearn the best book it could possibly be. I'd really encourage people to get in touch, like look you up on LinkedIn, get connected. It's amazing to have you on the show. I can't believe it took us so long to do this. So I'm actually kind of happy that the timing has worked out to have you on and share your perspective on doing this. And I know I've sort of promised one day that uh, we'll look forward to writing another book together. You can still hold me to that. I'm sure it'll be fun. Thanks very much for being on the show. Thanks very much for having me, Barry. It was a pleasure and a lot of fun. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show, but I'm even more delighted to share the exciting news. I've recently co-founded a new venture studio named Nobody Studios. Now, Venture Studio is a vehicle for the rapid creation of new companies from ideation to acceleration and growth. And our purpose at Nobody Studios will be to de-risk pre-seed stage business ideas. We'll do this by minimizing the time, speed and capital involved in validating truly repeatable and scalable business models before any significant venture investment. We've an audacious goal to start 100 compelling companies over the next five years. And who knows how many beyond that? So if you're interested in radically changing the way work is done, how products are created, companies built and funded, even democratizing the wealth creation and how returns are distributed, this could be the business for you. We're looking for talent, capital, and influence. If you wish to contribute any or all of these, just get in touch. You can follow us on nobodystudios.com, on our LinkedIn page, all the social media accounts, or simply my newsletters and what I'm sharing. We'll be launching a truly innovative crowdfunding campaign, and I'd be honored if you'd be willing to join us on this journey and become a nobody yourself.